morning. You may be seated, please. Please and thank you. Good morning. Welcome to Pillar Church of Oceanside. We're glad you're here this morning. The Lord is good. He's worthy to be praised. So next week is our five-year anniversary as a ministry. So if you come next week, I can promise you some Costco cake. It is my favorite. The cakes are too big to ever just buy one. I'm a family of four. I've got a wife. I have two kids. And there's no, no event in my life that allows me to buy a Costco cake. They're just too big. And so whenever there's any kind of major milestone, I always put in the requisition right away. Hey, can we get a sheet of Costco cake? So, Anyways, all that to say is we're, we're glad you're here. We, uh, we think the, uh, actually we know, the ministry is moving in a new direction. And this is a good thing, right? We don't want to be stagnant. So we're moving from the idea that we're a church plant, right? And uh, it's just like having a two-year-old or a three-year-old. They get away with a lot of nonsense, do they not? Have you ever had a two-year-old? There's just a point when you don't want to discipline that child anymore. It's like, just do what you want. Just do it away from me, right? And as they get older, you got to get back in there. So now as five years old, we've been examining what we're doing as a ministry, right? There are certain things. As a church plant, you're trying to keep a church alive, right? It's like we have to do X, Y, and Z. It's like taking care of a baby. Hey, if the baby sleeps and the baby is fed, you know, this, this, this child will, will keep living. And as you grow... In the ministry, we have to start looking out at other things. So you've probably seen a lot over the last year of us raising up deacons, right? So we've had deacons in the last year, year and a half. So we're, we're adding layers of, of leadership. As the church grows, we're seeing all these offices being instituted. We have more people serving. Um, and I wanted to say, just from the bottom of my heart, is what a wonderful church this is, that you guys really step up and have allowed uh, the vision to go forward, to, to know Jesus and to make him known. And our heart is, is, as elders, is we can spend more time praying, being more time in the Word, and more time hearing from Him, because how many of you know that when God gives the vision and God gives the message, you can't lose, right? When He's directing you, like, it's just a winning path. It doesn't mean you won't face resistance. It doesn't mean that times don't get hard. But we ultimately know that we win in the end. Amen? And with that being said, we're starting a new series in the book of 2 Timothy, now, everything I said is relevant to what we're going to talk about, and the message is what matters most. We're going to spend the next uh, few weeks in 2 Timothy. We're going to make our way through this book. And what's interesting about 2 Timothy is this is most likely the last thing that Paul wrote before he died. So the Apostle Paul, who's writing most of the New Testament, he's, if you, if you were with us when we went through the book of Acts, or you've read the book of Acts, you see how instrumental that Paul is in the life of this young church, uh, the church, the general, the, what you might consider the Catholic church. No, not those Catholics, the universal church, the, the, the body of Christ. And he's out there planting. He's, he's raising up elders. He's planting churches, and he's going to the next site. And he's got a group of, of, of people with him he sends back out to care for these churches as he's raising it up. And as you can imagine, the last thing you write is going to have some kind of weight to it. Because if you, know, if you knew you were on your deathbed and you were going to write something, would it be a limerick? You know, would it be something funny? Would you try to do that? Or would you try to write something serious? Do you know what a limerick is? No? OK. Yes. Right, would you try to do something cute like that? But no, you're going to write something heavier. And I, w I was thinking about just what this means. And the only thing I could liken it to is uh, a while, uh, oh, it was about a year ago, maybe a little less than a year ago, my wife and I went to New York City. So we had never seen a Broadway play. And I was in New York for work, 
And so I bought my wife a ticket, and she flew out to New York City, and we spent the weekend. We made the uh, rookie mistake. We stayed in Times Square. We stayed at the Hilton Times Square. And what a nightmare that was. And, but we ended up having a good time. Once we got over the, the, the shock of it all, right? We went to the show. We did all these things. But before we left, we, we had to think about what matters, because normally I, I travel almost every single week, and I have a life insurance policy, and I, I, I know that if I die, my wife will take care of what I wanted. Right, so if I go away, it's good to go. She might move into the Disneyland park or something with the money. <laughs> but I know at least my kids will be taken care of, right? So I, I have faith in her to do the right thing. But now, I compounded this issue because now I'm flying with my wife. And if you spend any amount of traveling, you know it's like, you know, you don't try to be you know, morbid or anything. Say, so, hey, there's a chance. Like when you just fly in airplanes that much, and I was like, hey, I don't like this idea of me and my wife flying together because if something happens, now, what happens to my kids? Now, my folks are in Oregon, and Audrey's family is in Georgia, and I wanted them to stay in the, the high school they're in. I want them to stay in the church family. I, I, I personally think church family matters more than blood family, right, because it's going to be a culture shock. So we called the Martinez's. I said, hey, brother, I want it. Would you, if something happens to me and my wife, would you please take care of my kids? Would you be, would you be willing to do this? You know, if something happens, the, the life insurance for my wife and I go to my kids so they'll be taken care of. They won't be a burden. And they talked and prayed about it. And, well, they said yes like 30 seconds later. I assumed you talked and prayed about it. <laughs> and they said yes. So we sent over the documentation, hey, should something happen to us? You know, basically getting the claims of my kids off of our blood relatives and putting it onto the church family and expressing our will. What we like them to stay in the same school. We don't want these kids separated, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, we came back four days later. Everything was fine. Nothing happened. But in that moment when you're looking at, hey, if something should happen, you got to get what matters out. I didn't care as much as you. Jo I joke around up here about how I love guitars and, and all these things that we love. I could care less about those things. There's two things in this world I cared about should I die. Their name was Gabriel and Hannah. You might know him as Chase, Chase and Hannah. Those are the two things I cared about. So those are the instructions I gave. I don't care what happens to the rest of it, but those two get taken care of, right? And so now imagine we think about Paul. Paul has grown this church. He's, he's literally given blood for this church. And he's writing the same kind of letter. You know, like, hey, I'm not trying to handle squabbles. I've got to impart some wisdom. We've got to do something for these people. So with that being said, let's open up our Bibles. Let's, let's jump into this and think about the gravity as we read this. We're just going to do the first seven verses today. And uh, let's, just, let's just go to verses one and two. So I'm not going to read the whole seven. I'm going to jump to the first one and two to make Phil's life a little bit easier. I'm kidding. It made his life difficult. I'm already jumping away from the script. But it says this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. If you've read any of the New Testament, you see this is a typical style greeting. Actually, in this time period, this is just how you wrote letters. The letter contains who it's from, who it's to, and a greeting. Now, our letters now look a little different, right? It says, who it's to, a greeting. We write the letter, and then we say who it's from, right? So our, our modern letters look a little different. But here, it actually kind of makes sense, right? It's like, so this is a standard format. We haven't seen anything weird here, just a standard greeting. As, as your pastor, as of one of your pastors, we, we struggle with one area 
I want to say we struggle with many areas. But one area we struggle with is as how deep do we get into these kind of books? So we go to, to really dive into the scripture. If we get too deep, we lose people right away. Right? It's like five minutes later, it's like, I, I don't need the history lesson. This is lame. And some people really love that. But also, if we don't go deep enough, if we make it too superficial, they, they call it seeker-friendly, right? Then we're not feeding the entire flock. So we're going to try to split the difference here. We're going to try to do both as we set this book up. We need, to, we need to know some historical context. We need to know about certain things that's going to make the rest of this letter make a little more sense. So one thing you do if you're, if you're taking notes in any kind of good Bible study is what's called like a, like a biography kind of Bible study. So we have characters mentioned. One thing you want to do ahead of time is to research these characters. Who are these people? Now, this letter is from Paul. I don't think we need to do too much research on Paul. Paul is very well documented. But we have another character in here. It's to Timothy. And if, I, if we asked around the room, give me some facts about Paul, we could get a lot of things about Paul, right? But if we said, hey, what's going on with Timothy? We'd, we'd get the, uh, the crickets chirping. I was like, I, I don't know. I, I've seen his name pop up. I know there's a couple books to him, but I don't know a lot about him. So yesterday in my fight club, uh, we have these groups called fight clubs where they're discipleship groups. And my fight club is a little bit different than everybody else's. Jackie Martin might call it weird. It's a weird fight club. Because we're actually learning how to study the Bible. So what we're doing is, is getting into uh, trying to graduate from reading the Bible to actually studying it, right? Letting the text drive the conversation, not denominationalism, not someone else's thoughts. Like, what does the text say about the text? And yesterday, uh, Cameron, in the back, Cameron, raise your hand, didn't want to be called out. And Adrian, raise your hand. Adrian, thank you. Those are the two gentlemen in my fight club. We actually did a pretty thorough biography on Timothy. So what I want to do is I want to call Adrian up right now. And Adrian's going to tell us who is this Timothy character and why should we care about him, please. And thank you. Good morning, church. Um, so, well, first off, I'm glad to have this opportunity to share with you this overview of the life of Timothy. Um, <clears throat> and so the first mention of Timothy in the Bible starts in Acts chapter 16, verse 1 through 3, um, which reads, Paul came also to Derb and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So there's a couple of things that we took from that passage. One, Timothy's heritage we found in our study is of great importance because we learned through further digging that a half Jewish and a half Gentile person um, was called a Samaritan. Um, culturally, Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And we know this from John chapter 4, verse 9, when Jesus asks for water from a Samaritan woman. Um, and that reads, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And so this becomes important um, in a bit. I'll explain that. Um, and the second thing that we get from that is we also see that Timothy, at the time Paul met him, was a believer um, and was recognized as a good and faithful servant to the Lord. So Paul brings him along on his missionary journeys. Um, from there, we read on to see Timothy's growing involvement um, in Paul's journeys to the different churches. And we also see that Paul entrusts Timothy to stay at certain churches while Paul goes off doing other missionary work. And so we know extensively um, how much Paul cared for these churches, specifically through his many letters um, of teachings and exhortations to them. Um, and the fact that he entrusts Timothy while, uh, with maintaining his work shows how much Paul trusts and cares about Timothy. 
Um, the next major point we came across happens in 1 Corinthians, um, chapter 16, 10 through 11, in which Paul instructs the church, when Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord, as I am. Let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Um, and one thing that we've been discussing through Bible study is to ask questions about the text in order to better understand its meaning. And so we ask about this specific passage, why does Paul instruct the Corinthians to let no one despise him? Um, it seems that Paul is trying to encourage his brother who has fear in his heart about something. Um, and through further study, we connect that verse ultimately to Paul's first letter to Timothy, um, starting in chapter 4, verse 12. Um, let no one despise you, talking to Timothy, for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and purity. And so this verse became the sort of crux of our conversation study, and our conclusion through these different verses was that Timothy was most likely fearful in coming on to this ministry. As being young, he probably doubted that anyone would take him seriously, that he lacked the same abilities to teach as Paul had, and connecting it back to his heritage from earlier, that he lacked, um, he probably had some fear of standing up and teaching in front of a congregation of Jews as a Samaritan man. Um, and ultimately, he followed Paul through many dire circumstances, seeing his mentors stoned, shipwrecked, and jailed. No wonder why Timothy was fearful. Um, <clears throat> but Paul encourages him nonetheless, speaking highly of Timothy in all regards, saying um, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 20, I have no one like him. Um, and in Paul's final letter before his death, he chooses to write to Timothy. Um, and knowing all this background helps us understand why Paul writes this letter and how we can start to frame things in the correct context. That's not easy to do, good job. There's no point in learning how to study if you can't tell other people about it. So uh, I surprised him last night. I said, hey, Adrian, remember what we did yesterday? It's like, you got about three to four minutes, do that again tomorrow. He's like, what? <laughs> so good job, thank you for doing that, sir. So looking at, at Timothy, this matters, right? So we get this idea of a Samaritan believer, right? That, this is heavy, as Adrian brought out here. And this guy has gone through the ringer with Paul. Right? He's, he's Paul's guy. He's the guy. He's the son. When we saw there, if you look back at your, your text, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 2, it says, To Timothy, a beloved son. First Peter greets him like that. Paul looks at Timothy like a son. This is the son he never had, right? This is his true son in the faith. Let's jump down to 2 Timothy uh, 3 through 5 now. Let's look at the next part of this, this greeting. He says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did. As without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and, and your mother Eunice, and I promise and I am persuaded, is in you also. So Paul here is saying, hey, I remember those tears. If you're familiar with the book of Acts, Paul was given a prophecy by a guy named Agabus. He grabbed Paul's belt and he wraps around his hand and said, hey, whoever's belt this is, they're, they're going to go pretty much unwillingly to Rome and there to give their life. So it was prophesied that Paul would die. He was going to be, die a martyr's death, death for this faith. So you can imagine Timothy, when he's looking at this father figure in the faith, we don't know a lot about Timothy's father because it doesn't say, but it talked about this heritage that ran from grandmother to mother to son. 
We know the father was a Greek, and if you read about him, everybody knew who the, the father was. Everyone knew he was a Greek guy, but he kind of gets lost from there. Paul acting as his figure. You can imagine Timothy just being, knowing that, hey, he's going to go die. He, he's lived, I mean, this could have been 20, 30, 40 years now, like together, right? Like going on these missionary journeys, proclaiming the gospel, knowing that, hey, my mentor is going to give his neck to the sword. Paul's trying to encourage him. He's like, hey, we're, we're going to see each other again. He says, but I, I have confidence in the one thing, the faith that was in your grandmother, and your mother, is now in you. Now, this isn't really the point of the whole text, but I do want to draw your attention to one thing, the importance of this godly heritage. These godly women, what they did through the life of Timothy. How many churches were planted through Timothy? We know Ephesus. We know we see him pop up in all these, the church at Corinth. We, we see Timothy popping up everywhere, helping get this thing off the ground. Now, Paul gets a lot of mention, but we also have to remember who labored alongside of Paul, right? We have the original disciples. We have Timothy. We have um, Barnabas. We have Silas. All, every single cast of these characters are important, right? Remember Stephen, who was serving? They killed him, the first martyr. And by the way, History tells us that Timothy also died the martyr's death in Ephesus, trying to stop a, uh, a festival to the goddess Diana, right, where they drug him through the streets and they stoned him there and they killed him. So he ended up giving his life for the cause as well. But what happens if grandma and mom are not actively involved in this? Does Timothy ever come around like this? I would say no, right? He is part of a godly lineage that went through the, the female side of the family. And why does that matter? Why do we bring this up? Because maybe the godly line is starting with you, right? And maybe you didn't receive that heritage. I know I actually came to Christ before my parents. I came to Christ in my early 20s. My parents followed after me. And some, I don't know if you've ever done this, but sometimes I wonder, like, what happens if I would have grown up in a Christian household? You know, would I have been saved from all these trials that I put myself through? Probably not. I'm very hard-headed. But, you know, I, I, you read things like this, and I'm just encouraged because it doesn't mention the grandmother before that. We see where the faith started, and then it ran down the family. And maybe this is your opportunity to start something in your family line, right? God can do a work through somebody at any age. It doesn't matter if you're a grandmother, a mother, a son, a daughter, right? Is let it start with you. Encourage yourself in the Lord, and that's like, hey, I may have not have been a beneficiary of this inheritance, but the blessing that goes from generation to generation has to start somewhere. I want to encourage you with that. Um, because we see Timothy getting this blessing. And when I think about my kids, that's what I'd like to pass along to them. It'd be nice to be able to give them, I don't really care how much money, it'd be nice to pass along something to them. But I think more than anything, it'd be nice to hand them that heritage that my father was a godly, good man with a good name. Amen? A man of the faith, a man who kept the faith. And that, what an awesome inheritance that is. Right, you can look back and know that, hey, my mother, my father, they ran that race with endurance. So I pray that that is you this morning. You never know how many Timothys you might, might birth. Amen? And they get after it for the kingdom. Okay, let's keep reading. Second Timothy 1, let's jump to we left off in 6, 6 and 7. It says, therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the, line, the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This is one of those uh, famous verses people have memorized, right? God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of what? Power, power 
of love and a sound mind. So if you're into scripture memory, you should memorize this, right? When you feel scared or fearful, this is like, this is a great verse. God has not given me the spirit of fear, but he has given me power, love, and a sound mind. But we need to, we got to start digging, right? So we're going to, we dig in each one of these, and we're going to try to put it together. We're going to try to, to glue a big picture together here. So if you are me, and you are not, but one question I have when I read verse 6, he says, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Is that weird to anybody else? Wait a minute. Timothy received a gift after he had hands laid on him. Yes, no, maybe? I lost you. Do you know what the laying on of hands is? Let me explain it to you if you do not. When we pray for people, James gives us an example. says, is anyone sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. They shall anoint him with oil. They shall lay their hands on the sick, and they shall recover. This is my beautiful wife. Here's a real-life demo. Just lay your hands on it. It's exactly like it sounds. You pray, and you put your hands upon that person. This happens in the Old Testament. It happens in the New Testament as a scriptural example of how God does something. So we see Timothy now... This was done to him. The, Paul says that I have laid my hands on you. I have given, God has given you a gift. I laid my hands, God gave a gift. And I want you to stir up. That word stir up is the idea of stoke to flames, right? Like throw another wood on, piece of wood on the fire, get this thing hot, get this gift going here. So now we have to say, what is the gift, right? What is this gift? And then also, do I have this, not me, Michael, but like you, do we have this gift? Is Paul speaking just to Timothy? Is, he speak, is there a larger lesson to be learned here? So let's go to Acts 6.5. Let's look at a couple of things that might be. So we'll do the classic definitions. This is the story of Stephen. It says, and they decided to pick who was going to serve the multitude. And this saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen. Look at, look at the description of Stephen. He was a man full of faith. He was already full of the Holy Spirit. And they chose Philip and some other dudes. And let's go to, can you go to verse 6? Do you have verse 6 up there? You can. Anyways, trust me on this. The next verse, they laid their hands on them for ministry. Right? That's what happens in verse 6. They, they send them into ministry. So one thing the laying out of hands means is you could be given a charge to ministry. When I got um, ordained, the elders of the church of the Bible college came over and they laid their hands on me, right? So they, they made a prayer. That's how you get ordained into the ministry, right? Uh, laying out of the hands ceremony. So this is one possibility it could be. We know that Timothy was a, 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 an elder in Ephesus, right? He had other jobs, other commissions, evangelism. He, he did a lot of different works. Uh, go to Deuteronomy 34.9. We're going to show you something from the Old Testament, what was given. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So we see this spirit of wisdom going from Moses to the next in charge, right? As Moses had to lead the Israelites, he passed along the spirit of wisdom that God had given him and given it to Joshua. And he had did as the Lord had commanded. So another idea is that it was some kind of spiritual gift, right? So Paul had a lot of different gifts operating in his life. Did Paul, through, through the spirit of God, pass along something? Was it the gift of faith? Some people argue, hey, that faith that was in grandma and mom is now in you. You know, is that the gift, right? So we can argue about what this gift was. And the third area it could be is let's go to Acts 8.14. We're going to read a few verses. The, the third one, if you're taking notes, could actually have been the actual Holy Spirit was given to him through the laying on of hands. It says, now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria, 
who is this, now this is no reference to what we're talking about, but it's also a coincidence that he's also a Samaritan, right? That Timothy is a Samaritan. Had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet, he had not, he as, the, as in the Holy Spirit, had not yet fallen on any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, watch this. And when Simon saw, through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, because you thought, now look at this, that the gift of God... Remember, stay right there, please. You remember in 2 Timothy we just read, Hey, Timothy, stir up the gift that is in you through the laying out of hands. Stir up that gift of God that is in you. I'm going to tell you what I think. I think he's actually talking about the Holy Spirit inside of Timothy. You can disagree with me, but I'm telling you what I think. He says, because you thought you could buy the gift of God, you thought it could be purchased with money. Okay? So do we see here that we have, an, there's a lot of other scriptures talking about laying hands on somebody and they receive the Holy Spirit. So those are our three things. We see three ways, three things that happen when hands are laid. It could have been any one of those three things. The scripture, if you read any good commentary, it'll just say it doesn't tell us what this gift is. We just don't know, right? And so I wanted to be fair to the text and tell you the three things that it could, could possibly be. Now, the reason, another reason why I think it is the Holy Spirit, again, just my opinion, is in verse 7, it says, do we have verse 7? We could jump there, Phil, 2 Timothy 1, 7. For God, it says for, that word for there, he's connecting the previous idea from the previous sentence, right? He goes, hey, stir up the gift that is within you, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. So in my mind, I'm, I'm reading this one, even when I'm trying to break it down and look at the original languages, I'm no expert by any stretch of the imagination here. I'm seeing this correlation between 6 and 7. Hey, God, stir up this gift, because that gift is not the spirit of fear, but it's the spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. And if you read anything about the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall receive what? Power. Right? That's the beginning of Acts. He says, wait, tarry here for the Holy Spirit. Wait for the Holy Spirit. For when he comes upon you, you shall receive power to be witnesses of me. To Samaria, to Judah, to all the ends of the earth, right? You'll receive this power. So I also see this idea that the gifting of God, the spirit, is the spirit of power. It's the spirit of love, right? Does the Bible say God is a spirit? Does the Bible say God is love? So check. I, I'm meeting the requirements for my... Now, you could disagree with me. I'm not... I, this is an open-handed issue here at Pillar, what this is. I think Trace thinks it, it might be a ministry gift. He leans towards it's a, it's a ministry gift. I lean towards the Holy Spirit. He's wrong, but <laughs> I'm kidding. Honestly, it, it, you, I can see it that way too, right? I, I, I will not get in a fight over this. And then a sound mind, a sound mind really there in the original language is the idea of discipline, right? That God gives us the discipline to, to fight sin, right? To fight these things, to actually live a disciplined life against the enemy. So that's my take on it. What I encourage you to do, so why, why do, this isn't even the purpose of 2 Timothy. So why do we spend this time here? this is what Bible study is. Like we, we, even if we can't come to a conclusion, we realize areas that we want to learn about. So if this interests you, you should do a study on the laying on of hands. You should do a study on the Spirit of God. Like how are these things done? 
But in case I've caused any confusions, I want to help you out here. Um, just I made a couple mental notes here for me. Is the laying on of hands the only way to receive the Spirit of God? And I will tell you no. You're like, so I haven't had hands laid on me, and I didn't receive the Spirit of God. No, it's not. Because we see even when the Holy Spirit came originally in the book of Acts, did anyone have their hands laid on them? They received the Holy Spirit. Right? So I do believe that the Spirit can be given at the moment of conversion. But I, we see an example in the, old, in, the, in the Bible where it's given through laying on of hands. I'm just not a kind of person that limits what God does or how he does it. Right? So if you're concerned, right, it's like, I, I believe you probably have the Spirit of God. I, I think that's how that happens. You get born again. We, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, is given to us as a guarantee, as a promise. Right? He lives. Where does the Holy Spirit live? On the inside of us. Right? So I don't get too hung up with what happens in, during this period. I do believe in the filling of the Spirit. I do believe in the baptism of the Spirit. I do believe in spiritual gifts. I do believe in everything the Holy Spirit does. But I'm not limited to what I have to do to make this thing happen. The Bible says that God gives out these spiritual gifts and all these things happen as who wills? As he wills, as he does it, right? So the Bible says to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. So I think the part you play is to desire these things. Amen? Okay. If you have more questions about it, I feel my phone blowing up in my back pocket. So uh, I know there's going to be some questions. Uh, but if you do have questions about this, you have concerns, come and see one of the elders afterwards. We'd be happy to talk to you about it. Um, okay. Uh, to back to verse 7. He says, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. This is what I want to spend the rest of our time talking about this morning. Um, Adrian talked a couple different reasons why um, Timothy might be fearful, right? It's mentioned in a couple books. Hey, tell Timothy not to be scared. Tell him not to be fearful. And everything that Adrian said, I think, is right on point, right? Like, if you if you were an apostle at this time, if you were an elder, like these guys were dying, right? The Bible says that Timothy spent time in jail, the big house, the stony lonesome, right? He was there. Because in Hebrews, we see that Paul says, hey, Timothy, Timothy's getting sprung soon. <laughs> it's like, yeah, let's, uh, we're going to go see our guy. He's been in jail. And you know these guys were being beaten. Paul was beaten so bad they thought he was dead, right? And all these things are true, but I think another reason, uh, and, and Adrian hinted to this, is that Timothy might be scared. This idea of what happens now when the man of faith leaves. The man of God is gone, right? Like, what's the direction? Like, Paul has been hearing from God, and Paul has been calling the shots on building these churches, right? And now he's like, hey, this guy's going to go, and if Paul leaves, who does that leave? Right? All the other apostles are being killed, have been killed, or are being killed, or exiled, right? John's out in Patmos. It's gone. The church looks like it, it's, it's receiving death blows, Right? But just like anything, God, God has a plan in all of this. But if I was Timothy at the time, I would, be scared, I would be scared too because, hey, in my lifetime, there was just Judaism. This, this Christ came. This church is being planted. We've seen miracles, signs, and wonders. We've seen all these things happen. I've given my life to it, and now this guy's about to die, and now all of a sudden, I'm one of the senior guys. How could this possibly be? What am I going to do about this? And this encouragement from Paul saying, hey, God hasn't given you the spirit of fear. It's like, hey, so this fear you're feeling is not from him who calls you. Remember, if it's from him, it's power, right? A power to be a witness to the ends of the earth of love and of a sound mind, that discipline to live this life. And when I read this, I really just started meditating on this. It reminded me a lot of Moses and Joshua. 
So if we can go to Joshua, I just want to show you a couple things. Let's go to Joshua. Phil, can you pull up Joshua? Let's go to Joshua chapter 1. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 1. I'm going to jump around a little bit. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua. So again, who's doing the speaking here? The Lord. I'll give you a second to keep finding Joshua. It's at the, it's the beginning of your Bible. After Exodus. After Deuteronomy, I'm sorry. Exodus, Deuteronomy. Numbers, Deuteronomy. When you're all there. Now this is, this next 10 minutes is probably the most important thing I have to say today. So if you've checked out, time to check back in. I want you to see something here between the parallels between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we're going to tie it into what, what is also happening today. So after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the, the Lord spoke to Joshua. So the Lord is speaking here to the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, look what God says. He doesn't, he doesn't, uh, Rose color this one. He says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Yeah, thanks for putting some sugar on it, Lord. Thanks for, <laughs> it's like, he could have said, hey, Moses is with me. He's in, my, he's in Abraham's bosom. He's okay. He says, hi. Moses, my servant, is dead. Let's jump down here. Verse 5. And he's given him this promise. He says, no man shall be able, and the Lord is speaking, so he says, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life as I was with Moses, so I will also be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of a good courage. Verse 7, only be strong and be very courageous. Verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and of a good courage. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Can you see the parallels between Moses and Joshua? And Paul and Timothy, it's worded differently. Stir up the gift that is within you. God has not given us a spirit of fear. We could easily translate that as well. As I was, as God was with me, Paul, he will be with you. Stir up that gift. Stir up what is inside of you, that gift, the Holy Spirit. Stir that up. As God was with me, he will be with you. Do not be scared. Only be very courageous. Be brave. He's given you the spirit of power of love and a sound mind. What we're seeing here at the start of Timothy is we're seeing the passing of the baton. The last thing Paul's doing is like, I'm going to charge this next generation. I am going soon to give up my life. And now there's people that are going to be left behind that have to carry the torch. The Bible says that God always leaves himself a remnant. Right? God says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Have I not commanded you, Joshua, that I'm going to do the same thing through you as I did through Moses, only be very brave and very courageous? And I see Paul doing the same thing right now. He's charging Timothy to be strong in the faith. And over the next weeks, we're going to start seeing how this instruction breaks out. He starts giving him details on how to lead the church, on how to live his life, on what he should be doing. This is Paul's last stand. These are my final things. Just like I started the message with saying, hey, I'm going to New York and God forbid if my wife and I should die, this is what I want done. Here's Paul pouring it out. God was with me. He will be in you. Stir up this gift. Go forward. Now is the time to be strong. It's time to be courageous. What does that have to do with Pillar Church of Oceanside? What does this have to do 
with anything is I feel that we are kind of in that generation, right? The heroes of at least my faith, they're getting older. We're starting to see these guys go. Billy Graham just recently passed away. A lot of the guys that I look and listen to, they are, they're getting older. I don't, know, I don't know who you guys listen to or like. And sometimes I wonder, it's like, man, what is happening to the church? Who, where, who, where is our Moses? Where is our Joshua? Where, where is our Apostle Paul? You know, because the church feels like sometimes like it's splintered. Does it feel like that to you? That it's always fighting about doctrine. It's fighting about something like this, this denomination is this, this is this. And even when I first got saved, not having a Christian background, I'd say one of the first things that concerned me was I just didn't really understand why nobody got along. I was like, I was, because you get saved and you don't grow up a Christian. I'm like, what's a Baptist? What's a charismatic? What's a Lutheran? What's a Catholic? I don't know. I didn't know the difference. <coughs> Excuse me. So when you just get saved, you look, I got, I think I got plugged into a Southern Baptist church at first. So it didn't get too weird. That came much later. But I remember asking the guy, his name was Zeddy Kratz. He was with the Navigators. I'm like, why are all these different denominations? He's like, well, he goes, just like throughout history, nobody can agree upon anything. Right? It's like, well, I don't agree with you, so I'm going to go start something new. And he was trying to encourage me. He's like, well, take, you know, they, we all still work together. We all serve the same king. We have these differences. And, and now I feel, I don't know if you feel this way, but sometimes I just feel like it's gotten even worse. And I was like, man... Like when Paul was there, Paul was like trying to hold everything together. Right? He's keeping all the loose ends. He's saying, hey, go back to this church. I'm writing a letter to, uh, to Corinthians. Hey, is this really happening? I, I hear the testimony this is happening at church. And the Spirit of God says, look, it's always happened like this. It's, this is just how this rolls. Like, hey, a church gets planted, it gets, the foundation starts, and things happen because we have an enemy. Like, well, where is this going, Mike? What does this have to do with 2 Timothy? is that I know in my heart of hearts that as Moses passed the baton, that God is passing the baton to some of you. I know being younger, um, and I'm not old by any stretch, but I'm about middle age now, I've wondered that. I've always looked up to who's next. And God is, there's a point where God says, you're up, you're next. It's time to grow up in your faith. The baton has to be passed. And we need to be able to be able to receive that baton. And this is the charge Timothy's getting right now. It's like, he's sad. He's scared. I wouldn't want to see Paul go either. But what happens when the baton has now been passed to you and you have refused to grow up? It's like, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And some of us this morning have to realize that you've been around the faith long enough. And even Timothy, Adrian, remember how he pointed out, says, don't let them despise your youth. Just because you're young doesn't mean the baton won't be passed to you. It's time to step up. It's time to grow up in our faith. The last thing Paul says is, here it comes. The first of the last things he says is your turn. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. God has not given you the spirit of fear. So my encouragement to you this morning is to stop fearing. Stop looking for who's next and realize it might be you. It's time to grow up in your faith. It's time to actually learn the word for real. Because regardless, that next generation dies off and God calls the next one. And the baton is always going to be passed. The Bible says that as long as the sun rises and sets, his faithfulness endures, right? We don't know how long the Lord will tarry. I think it would be awesome if he came back this afternoon right around noon. Save me seven bucks from having to buy lunch on the way home, right? He came back and called us up to glory with him and forever to be with the Lord would be awesome. But the truth is, friends, it could be a couple hundred years. Our lives will easily expire. And remember how we talked how the faith went from grandma to mom to son? 
Well, that faith is coming down through us and is going to the next generation. And some of us, through our laziness and through our ignorance, are forfeiting passing that on to the next one. That God uses human instruments. He uses the faithfulness of men and women to build the kingdom of God. We came out of a, a series on building the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is not in buildings. It's not in geography right now, right? What is the kingdom of God? People. What's the one thing God cares about? People. It's the only thing he cares about. He cares about souls. The church exists exclusively for people who are not members. The only reason he hasn't taken us away is because we need to add more to the body. Right? We are here for one reason and one reason only, and that's to win souls. That's the order Jesus gave, right? The Great Commission. Hey, I'm going to the Father. I'm going to give you another helper, the Holy Spirit. Go out now and spread the good news. Go out and do this. And that's how we beat back the kingdom of darkness, by winning people into the kingdom of light. And the enemy tries to put this light out 24-7, right? He's trying to do this. And the kingdom cannot be stopped. And so that's that encouragement to Timothy. God can't be beaten. Greater is he who is in where? Me than he who is in this world. God cannot be beaten. That gift that was in you, the succession, is in you. Now it's your turn to go run your race. And I was praying this week, and the charge is, is now the baton is being passed to you guys. And I know I've been guilty of it. I have the people I look up to. And uh, it was two or three weeks ago, maybe a month ago, I was telling the other elders, I was praying, as I felt the Lord really telling me, because I have, I have a day job, so I'm what's considered a lay elder. I, I don't get paid to be in the ministry. Um, and so I, I treat my job like it's number one, right? So if my work wants me to do something, I, I do this. And, and, I, and I also help elder pillar church. And the Lord told me, he's like, Mike, what's going to be rewarded when you get to heaven? How well you did your job or how well you eldered the church? And I was like, well, according to your word, I'm going to be responsible because I carry the title elder. I voluntarily took it. The Bible says, you know, you have to want to do this. And God says, that's exactly right. So you need to, you need to change your motives. Now, my actions don't look any different. I don't want to get fired. I'm still going to go to work. But my heart now has changed towards it, where it's like, hey, you know what? The most important thing I'm doing is actually this, in the kingdom of God. I'm here to help people, right? Now, it doesn't look any different. Like I said, I'm still, I still prayed for you. I still came to church. I was still on the worship team. So my physical actions didn't change. You probably wouldn't notice any kind of difference, unless you were around me and you hear me speak. But the difference was, is my heart motive. I started thinking, I was like, wait a minute. Just because I'm not getting paid, just because I, I can't do this full time, doesn't mean that everything in my being should be about this ministry work. Does that make sense? And because everything I'm preaching to you, to you right now, I was guilty of, that the baton had been handed to me, and I was fearful. Right? It's like, hey, if, if I don't take responsibility, then I also can't be blamed for when this thing doesn't work. That's cowardice. And that cowardice has no place in the kingdom of God. Actually, in Revelation, there's a scary verse that says, cowards will have their part in the lake of fire. So sometimes we don't want that baton passed to us because we don't feel equipped and we're not ready. We don't want the responsibility for the results. But remember, who gives the results? Who is with us? God. He's looking for someone who is willing and faithful. Faithfulness and willingness carries a lot of weight in the kingdom of God. The last thing I want to just bring up to you is I would be if I was you and I hear this 
And we see the example of Paul getting the next generation ready for what's going to happen. Is ask the Lord how you are, could be used. Right? So we've seen a lot of characters pop up in just a few verses. We see the grandmother, we see the mother, we see the Timothy. All these different cast of characters result in the church. And everyone has a different race, and everyone has a different role to play in the church. And the Bible says the roles that you can't see are actually more important than the roles that are seen. An example would be an elder. You see Trace, Daniel, and I every single week. And to be completely honest with you, there's nothing really special about the eldership gift. The Lord gives us a heart for the people. I did notice a difference because before I was saved, I could care less about people. Actually, I would live, you've heard me say it, and, and it's not a joke. If I wasn't saved, I would be living in Montana right now like the Unabomber. That's exactly no electronics except for maybe a guitar amp. I'd cheat. I'd be a hypocrite Unabomber. And the Lord really just over the years softens my heart for people. I would never live in a city. I definitely wouldn't have lived in San Diego. The first day I drove into San Diego, I was in the Air Force, pulled the U-Haul, I was driving from Luke Air Force Base, driving over on the 8, never been to San Diego. I'd been once, I think. Drove over, and we hit traffic coming in on the 8, trying to get to the 5. And I was like, the moment I can get out of here, I'm leaving. That was 17 years ago. You know, that assignment should have only lasted three years. 17 years later, the Lord still has us here. But what is that? So that's this gifting uh, to be an elder, and then you have to be able to stand in front of people and speak. So to me, it's like it's, it's, it's a gifting. It's not, there's nothing that special about it. I look at a gifting, and I'm not trying to recruit you to the kids' ministry. The people that serve in kids' ministry week in, week out with a good attitude, and they do it for years, I would have gone nuts and left the faith years ago. But I realize they have a gifting. Have you ever met somebody with those kind of gifts? We recently just lost a family, the Mills family, and Kirby, I had never seen an administration gift to that level. And I've seen people that are good at it, but it was just a whole other level of, I was actually in charge of some stuff and it was just falling apart. And Kirby took it over. They didn't even tell me he was going to take it over. They just gave it to him. They said, just fix this. And all of a sudden, all these ministries started running correctly. I was like, man, I'm doing a really great job. And they showed what Kirby was doing. I was like, oh, never mind, Kirby did it. But that's the point, is all these things that God is doing through you actually makes this whole thing work. So God tells us, he goes, hey, the gifts that you can see, like the elders, like the people that come up and preach, that's great that there is a, 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 a talking head, but you know what the real engine is? It's you guys. The Bible says that we, the gifts given to us are to equip you for the work of the ministry. And the reward the church gets, you will share that. Just be faithful what God has given you. Maybe you're the grandmother to the Timothy. How awesome is that? How many people were led to Christ through Timothy, through his affiliation with Paul? That reward runs all the way back because that grandmother was faithful to setting that example. Right? So here's the challenge I, I give to you as your pastor. One, how do you get involved in the ministry? Maybe it's just being faithful to pray for the ministry. Right? We get everyone has different seasons. And two, are you being faithful what God has given you? Really do an inventory. Am, have I been faithful to this? So I know that the same God that was with whoever you look up to is also with me to do great works through you. Have I been faithful? So am I using it? Am I being faithful with it? And am, am I being fearful with it? Right? So we see that he got the encouragement, don't be fearful. 
it's not easy to step out. When I asked Adrian to come up today, he's never done that. Adrian's never encouraged somebody from the word, from a pulpit, like, hey, you have to teach somebody what you learned. That's daunting. Phil came up today for the first time. Hey, I get up here and I realize I'm a little more nervous. It's about stretching people. There's going to be times to be nervous and to be scared. But what does God tell us? What does he say? Say it again. Trust him. What else does he say? Be very strong. Be very courageous. What else does he say? You don't have the spirit of fear. The best way to overcome these things is, is I, I'll tell you what I do, is I talk to myself. Mike, that's me. I didn't have a chance to get the name tag, my bad. Michael, God has not given you the spirit of fear. He's given you power, love, and a sound mind. When I don't want to do something, it's like, okay, I, I don't want to do this. And I remind myself. I stir myself up. The gift that is in me, I have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit starts to encourage me. The Bible says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. David would do weird things. He would say, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits, who redeems my life from destruction, who crowns me with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies my mouth with good things, who, who heals, right, he heals me. He, he gives this big list. He reminds himself of all the things the Lord does for him. Are you doing that? When you're fearful to do something, are you encouraging yourself in the Lord? When you know to do something and you're becoming frightful, are you doing these things? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this awesome, awesome word. Not my word, but your word this morning. That you penned through Paul to Timothy. That as as Paul was encouraging Timothy, Lord, we also take great comfort in that, knowing that the generation before always goes, and we're always encouraged because you leave that remnant. Lord God, it's not about the man of God, but it is about God. It's about you. Lord, I'm grateful for the men and women that you've used, and I thank you that you have recorded it for all time, that it's written in your books, Lord God, that we can see these examples. But we know it only works because you're there. Because you do it. Just like you told, told Joshua, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And just like you were with Paul and you were with Timothy. And just like you were with the generation before us, Lord, you were with us. And Lord, and you will be with the next generation. And the generation after that. Lord, you are faithful. In all your days, you are faithful. Your great love which you have towards us, Lord God. It cries out. It cries out to all humanity. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever shall call upon him shall be saved. Jesus, you said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. And we cry out right now. Father, I pray for, first I pray, Father God, for the backslidden soul right now. Those that are sitting here, Father God, that have walked away from the faith. Father, that have grown lukewarm. And life is passing them by, Father. And you have a call on, on people's lives, Father. And they're watching from the sidelines as you're, you're doing this, this work in this day. Father, I pray for their return. Like the prodigal son, Lord God, I thank you that they, they can see now that your arms have been open this entire time. And Jesus, you say, come, come, come back. The Bible says, if we confess our faults, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All the Lord asks, just repent. Turn from that direction and turn back to the right direction. He will receive you back. 
Father, I also pray right now for the the unrepentant heart, the unbelieving soul in this place. Father, I ask you for their salvation. Lord, I pray that you would just move in our lives, Father. If there's anyone here that doesn't know you, Lord, that you would break through that, that stony heart. Father, we ask you for their salvation. Father, also lift up those who are coming uh, to their own in the faith, Father God, where that the baton is being handed to them. Father, they are at the next step in their ministry and their life. Lord, you've called them to, to be a leader in this body. You've called them to, to do more and to be more, Father, to set the example in faith and in, in, in action and in, in word, Father God. I pray for them, Father. I pray that you would fill them with that same spirit that you have filled Timothy the same spirit, when the apostles prayed together, they asked for the spirit of boldness and you filled the place, Father. And you shook the house and the boldness came upon them and they preached the gospel to the ends of the earth. Father, you added as many as should be saved. We saw thousands at a time coming to faith in the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. All because you shook that place with power and with boldness. And you used weak men, Father, jars of clay. You used them. I pray that for this next generation, Father God, that you would use them, that you would fill them, that the baton being passed to them, Father God, the flame would be even hotter than it was in the previous generation, Lord God, that they would, they would, the, the ministries that have sown, Father God, that they would harvest, Lord, that we would see this great soul harvest. And lastly, Father God, I pray for the senior generation, Lord, the men and women that have been the standard bearers, that have carried the flame of the gospel for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, Father. And Lord, they are, they're generals in the faith and they're, they're coming to the next. They want to know what they should do next. They, want, they still want to be in the game, Father God. They still want to advance your kingdom. Father, give them the ability, like Paul, to pour into this, the next generation, Father, that you give them the teaching gift, Father God, that the, all the life lessons and the, the hard battles they fought, Lord God, can be poured into this next generation. Father God, that you would use them up until the day you call them home. I pray for the strength of our seniors right now, Father God, that their bodies would remain strong, Father God, that their mental capacity would be sharper than ever. Father God, that you would fill them to overflowing with your spirit, Father God, that their final testimony would be one of faith, of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Lord, I thank you. We know that whatever we pray, we have those things we ask, Father God. We ask for these things not for our kingdom, for our glory, but for yours and yours alone. We thank you for these things. And the church said, Amen.